Thank you, musicians. I'd like to just uh, start by saying, kind of recognizing a lot of our staff members and their excellence. Uh, How did you like the new slides for our music? A lot lot more uh, engaging, right? (laughs) Johan put those together, and we appreciate that. And musicians, you did a wonderful job. I loved your song this morning, Mr. Foster. Uh, Dave, I really like those red shirts. And I uh, used to be an XL. Now I'm closer towards double XL, just depending on the shrinkage effect after. So I'm just saying. But we do things with excellence around here, and I appreciate that. That is to glorify God, and it is to show our love for you all. So I am very grateful for our staff. Uh, they do things with excellence, and I appreciate it. And for all the volunteers who put in so much time and effort and uh, get up early on their Sundays to come out and to serve God and to serve his people. So just thank you to all of those people. Well, we are continuing our study of basic Christianity. Before we do that, I want to just give a preview for our Wednesday night. So on Sunday mornings, we're focusing on basic Christianity. But on Wednesday nights, we have a Bible study here. Our church meets twice a week. We meet on Wednesday evenings and on Sunday mornings. And we expect all of our members to make those days, to be serious uh, about those days, and to make those dates uh, a part of your weekly schedule. We want you to be with us. We want to be with you. We want to know you. And we want to grow together. That's what that, that little word, those words say underneath our logo, growing together. And so our expectations is that we do that around the Word of God. Uh, I want to talk just really quickly about this. I want to I make a, just a little commercial on our Wednesday nights before I get started. This is a very important topic. Uh, as science and technology evolves to greater and greater heights, the question of morality becomes more and more pressing and more and more complex. Should Christians use birth control? Are there forms of family planning and fertility treatments that are morally questionable? Does God really care about my sex life? And questions like these are all a part of the study of Christian ethics. And we're going to be doing that for the next uh, several weeks, more than several, but uh, in the following weeks, we're going to be looking at end-of-life care, uh, just war theory, um, uh, We're going to be looking at family planning and things of that sort. Questions that you deal with on a daily basis. And uh, we want to make sure that you're a part of that. And if if you're saying, you know, 6.30 is difficult to be here because you got to get dinner first. We also supply dinner at 5.30. So we would love for you to come out at 5.30 and have dinner. Uh, The Martinez family puts it together and they do a phenomenal job every week. So uh, we want you to be here with us. That's what I'm saying. This is important. It's important that Christians behave like Christians. I spoke with a human, uh, a human being last night. I did. I spoke with a human being last night. I've been talking. This whole week has been the study of man, so I've been using the word human being a lot. This human being said to me, he said, he was a lawyer, he said, some of the worst people, worst criminals I've met have been leaders in the church. You know, it was hard to refute what he said. 
God judges church leaders and Christians on a higher standard because we should know better. And the study of Christian ethics is going to help each and every one of us understand the proper way as Christians to move forward in a 21st century world where science and technology lead us into greater and greater complexity. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, what is man that you are mindful of us? You know our frame, it is but dust. You know that we are nothing but dirt. It was you who took that dirt, intimately formed us, breathed your breath into us, and gave us the dignity of your image. For that we are most grateful. For that we are most thankful. But Lord, we fail so many times to image you, to reflect your mercy, your grace, your care and stewardship, your concern for others, your care for this earth, your worship. And Lord, yet you show us mercy every day. As we sang this morning, our sins are so many. But your mercy is always so much greater. And so we just come to this moment of worship in our week to just give you all of the praise and all of the glory. Help us to put all of the interference of our thoughts of our anxieties, of our concerns out of our life for just this moment as we seek to worship and honor you. Speak through me this morning and Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do, giving light and life to dead hearts. And so we just pray, Lord, that you will be amongst us this morning as your word is opened and read and that hearts would be changed. And we pray and ask all these things according to the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is From Dust to Dignity. It is a sermon series on the doctrine of man. Uh, now, I'm using the word man at the outset. It's important to note this, that the word man I'm using in the biblical sense, referring to both male and female. Uh, some would choose to use the word humanity Instead of the word man, in order to be politically correct, but they sacrifice the biblical text in order to make man happy. The Bible tells us that God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the Bible uses the word man to refer to both female, male and female. And I'm going to use the word man to refer to both male and female. This language should not be offensive to you. God is the great equalizer of the sexes, creating both males and females equally to resemble him, but to resemble him also distinctly and differently. Before man was man, he was dust. Insignificant, Inorganic, 
grains of dirt without any form or life in him. There was a time where man was not, but God has always been. There was never a time where God was not. Darwin believed that man was the accidental consequence of time plus chance plus matter. He believed that his existence was accidental rather than intentional. That man was not the intended outcome of the evolutionary processes is a hard pill to swallow for the human ego. But I think that the Bible might actually have a harder pill to swallow. A less flattering origin story, if you will. The Bible says that from the dust you were made and to the dust you will return. At least in Darwin's view, we evolved from something that was alive. But according to the Bible, our origin begins in the grains of dirt. The Bible's origin story is definitely a humble state for all of us. But while man was made from the dust, he did not remain dust, but was formed and created by God with the greatest dignity that any creation, including the angels, ever had. Namely, that man and man alone was made in the image and the likeness of God. So that those inorganic, insignificant dust particles have now become the pinnacle of God's creation. Only because they have derived their dignity from the breath of God himself. Why is it important for us as a church to talk about what it means to be man? To identify the true source of man's dignity as being derived from God alone is to give a new worth to man. That is quickly being eroded in secular culture. Why not Take the lives of human beings if they are not created in the image of God. When God gave the first command in Genesis 9 not to murder, he did so with this reason, because they are made in my image. We must defend the biblical teaching today of what a binary gender is. That means that there are two genders and not 18 or 40 or however many genders there are today. Do not lose sight of this, that God made man in his image and he made man, male and female, he made them. And to erode the image of God as distinctly binary is to be idolatrous and to worship false gods. We must acknowledge the equal and the complementary worth of both men and women. Men and women are equal. 
the greatest book in the world that gives dignity and equality to women is the Word of God. Cultures that are misogynistic, patriarchal cultures would do well to take the Word of God. Shame on any Christian culture that ever took the Word of God and used it to support misogyny and patriarchy. But shame on the Christian church today that does not distinguish between those sexes because God distinguishes between those sexes. God has given a hierarchy in equality, a distinction in unity. If Christ can be subordinate to God and be God at the same time, women should never find it to be at odds with their dignity to submit to their husbands for the glory of God. If God can become man, dwell among us, and give his entire life for human creation, what then does it mean for a husband to give his entire life to serve his wife? We must take this back, the binary identification of mankind. We must acknowledge man's failures as sin against God rather than excuse them as genetic or social predispositions. Sinfulness is the problem, not our institutions. You do what you want to do. Stop blaming society for your poor behavior. It's not your teachers. It's not your parents. You will stand before Almighty God. You, the center of consciousness, the I, will stand before Almighty God and give an account for your decisions. It would not all be different if the social institutions were changed. The problem is that social institutions are created by human beings and human beings are sinful. And what happens? It is not the social institutions that need to be changed. It is the human beings that run the social institutions that need to be changed. And we must take this back. We must preach this. We must proclaim it. We must note that man is sinful. Man is the problem. And we must explain what man's role is for the environment. Why neither radical environmentalism or environmental abuse are acceptable for Christians. We have a responsibility to do something with the earth. That God has given to us. All of these are essential for why we must study what it means to be man. Michelangelo's painting of the creation of Adam, it sits atop the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, depicts the newly formed Adam, his body still tethered to the ground, waiting impotently to be given the divine spark of God's image. This beautiful fresco has become iconic in Western imagery and religious artistic representation. And that's exactly what it is. Religious artistic representation of one of the most mysterious scenes in the Bible, namely the creation of man. 
in the image of God. Art is certainly one of the most powerful mediums of communication. During the Middle Ages, stained glass windows served as an educational medium through which illiterate persons would learn and become familiarized with the stories and doctrines of Christianity. Unfortunately, neither the stained glass nor the fresco is replaced when the doctrine is wrong. And the images remain permanent in our mind. False doctrine can go unchecked for generation after generation in the name of preserving great works of art. But the true answers to the meaning of life and who God is and who man is are not found on the canvas but in the codex. They are found in the word of God and not in the works of artists. The Bible must be our final source of truth in all things. The Bible alone holds the ultimate answers to where man came from, to where man is going, and to what he should be doing in between. The Bible alone answers the question, what does it mean to be human? Much like our favorite comic book heroes... Understanding man's origin is essential to understanding everything else about who man is. We have to first know how man was created in order to know what it means to be human. We have to know for what purpose man was created in order to know what the meaning of life is. We have to know just what went wrong on that fateful day in order to understand why we're in the condition and why the world and society is in the condition that it is in and what needs to be done to correct it. If we want to understand ourselves, our God, our sin, and our salvation, we have to first understand where we came from and how we were made. We have to first answer the question, how was man created? You know, like most of you, you binge watch on Netflix. And I've been binge watching Daredevil. And I could not understand how Daredevil, who is a blind superhero, could fight with such precision. I didn't get it. I didn't understand. He's a blind superhero. For those of you who don't know, there's this character named Daredevil, and he's blind. And he can fight with precision. If someone were to throw a knife at him, he can sense it. He can move it out of the way. It's supernatural. It's unbelievable what he can do. And I had to go back, and I had to look at the origin in order to understand what was going on. His eyes were, were he lost his sight as a young man by, spoiler alert, by radioactive, radioactive, waste falling on his eyes so he has a supernatural ability to fight but it didn't make sense to me I didn't understand what was going on and how that was just working itself out in the story you know the same thing is going on in our life we see a mess we don't understand how we got here and we're buying into the stories into the false teachings of the world and secular society that someone else is the reason for why we're in the shape we're in. But the Bible has a different story for us, and that's precisely what I want to talk about this morning. 
The first point I want to make this morning is that man was made from the dust. Man was created from the dust. This is a very important truth that we should not too quickly gloss over when we're reading the story of Genesis. Before man was man, he was dust. He was insignificant. He was nothing. And so we have to see and answer the question, if man was made from dust, where then does dust get its dignity? I suspect that many of you will walk on dust and never be upset about it. All of us walk on dust and never think twice about it. But certainly we would all be upset if we walked on human beings. What has happened between that time of dust and now? What is the distinction between these two things? How was man created? The Bible tells us that man was created to resemble God's image. Genesis tells us that God created man male and female after his own image in knowledge, in righteousness, and holiness with dominion over all the creatures. Genesis 2.7 says that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Our basic constitution of what it means to be human is to be inanimate, insignificant dust. You ever sat down at the breakfast table and read the side of a cereal box? And after you see all of the nutrition facts about how much sugar is in there, and once you wake back up off the floor because you're shocked at how much sugar is in those frosted flakes, you see that there's a list of minerals. Zinc, iron, magnesium, all sorts of things. Rat droppings, all sorts of things. It's telling you how much dust and dirt is in the cereal. Dust and dirt that you need. Because your basic constitution is but dust. Only after the supernatural formation of dust. And the inbreathing of God's spirit into man's frame, does mankind receive its dignity? Man's dignity is therefore his worth, that is his worth, his value, his glory. Man's dignity is derived from God. Man's existence is intimately and vitally connected to God. And without God there is not man. And secular society is selling us a bill of goods, telling us that we don't need God to make sense of human existence. But nothing can be further from the truth. Without God, we are but dust. Insignificant dust. Our life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Our glory, our worth, our value is derived from God. 
if we as a society get rid of the notion, the belief, the idea of God, we are not just killing God, we are killing ourselves. John Calvin, the reformed theologian, said this. He said, the knowledge of God and man is the ultimate knowledge of all things. That we understand who God is and who man is in relationship to one another. Why you're here today, hopefully, at least why you should be here today and not somewhere for yourself is because you acknowledge that you are here for God. Not just one day, but that your whole existence is for God. I want you to note the words here, formed, ground, and breathe into. I want to just look really quickly at those words. The word formed here, every other living thing was called forth into existence, but God formed man, implying that God's desire is to have an intimate relationship with man from the very beginning. A pregnant mother shares an intimate relationship an almost unbreakable bond with her child as that child is formed in her womb. The forming of the human being here is a unique and a special creation of God. And in this act, Scripture tells us that God cares for us and like a parent forms human beings. No other creation has that. Not even the angels. The word ground here is also important. Man shares not only an intimate relationship with God, but an intimate relationship with the ground. How many of you have been watching Shark Week this week? Raise your hand. Confess your sin. Listen, there's too many of you who aren't watching Shark Week. You need to watch Shark Week. They do some of the craziest stuff. And by the way, if there are any Australians here, I don't mean this to be offensive, but y'all are crazy. <laughs> hey, Blake, we're going to jump down in there and that shark and we're going to touch his mouth. What are you doing? I wouldn't even be on the boat. I'm never going to the ocean again. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about moving. I'm never going in the ocean again. It's like, what are you guys doing? They're spending millions of dollars, millions of dollars, and they're pulling fish out, and they're just, they're just like looking at it. Look at its teeth. I mean, that's a million dollars? You're spending millions of dollars? This one machine that they have, this little pod, is $2 million just to go down and look at a fish? Yeah, well, we got to make sure that its population continues. Why? It's down at the bottom where there's no light. I don't know. My life has been lived for 35 years. I never knew this thing existed, and I've been fine. Now I'm having nightmares that the thing existed. You couldn't get me on that ship. I'd be asking for, like, Gatling guns and be down there shooting every shark I saw. There'd be no more sharks. What are they doing? They have an intimate relationship with the ground. That's... Somehow, there's a relationship there. You know what sharks have in common with human beings? They have eyes. They have teeth. They have other things that I don't want to talk about. 
but a lot more in common. They have a lifespan. Don't gloss over that. The Bible tells us that when a man is righteous, even his animals know it. There is an intimate relationship with the ground. But God is our Father. We love the earth because it is the source of our material composition, but also because it is the gift of our Father to us. You know why God made great white sharks? So that Australian men would jump into those buckets and look at them and glory in their presence and learn about them. That's the first thing Adam did when he named the animals. The next word here that's important is the word breathe into. No other created thing in all the universe has the breath of God living in it. As glorious as the stars are, they don't have the breath of God in them. God's breath is in us. That's a special relationship. The people who are closest to you, you share their breath. I know, every morning I share Steph's breath. Every morning. We have an intimate relationship. But it's where God's soul, the life force comes from. You know, people sometimes talk about the divine spark in us. But spark does not do justice to breath. You know what sparks are for? Sparks are for machines. And machines aren't living things. But breath is something that's alive. God breathed his breast into a, our breath into us. The psalmist wrote, though, he knows our frame that we're but dust. As a proclamation of our utter dependency and utter insignificance apart from God alone. God made us from the dust. But not only did he make us from the dust... He made us in his image. The Bible says, let us make, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Most theologians believe the use of the plural word there, us and our, refers to an early revelation of the divine trinity, that God is eternally Father, eternally Son, eternally Holy Spirit. Others believe that it's the use of the royal we. Something that was very common with sovereigns to speak of themselves as an us or a we. I happen to believe that it's an early reference to the Trinity. Here's why. God is eternally triune. When God formed man in the dust, it was a Trinitarian act of God. The Father was there, the Son was there, the Holy Spirit was there. Each one of the persons of the divine Godhead share an intimate relationship with the people of this earth. God the Father came and dwelt among us in the tabernacle. Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us in the flesh. And God the Holy Spirit now dwells among all those who are in Christ. I believe that God's Trinitarian, that God's creation of man was a Trinitarian creation of man. 
Second reason why I believe this is because man was made in God's image and God is both one and three, not in the same sense, of course. But man is made both male and female, both equally human, yet both distinct. There are seven statements of the Trinity. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. And the Spirit is not the Son. God is one in essence, three in person. You say, I can't figure that out. Listen, find something better to do with your Sunday than trying to solve that mystery. What you should do with that mystery is worship and glorify God. But because God is triune, he made us distinct, yet one. Listen, Miss Independent, you don't need to be Miss Independent. And man, you don't need to be a player. Why is it that guys always get the good name and girls are always get the bad name? Right? Girls are always mistreated when they don't want to be with men, but men are always like, oh, he's a player. He knows what he's doing. He's got all those women. God gave us marriage as a reflection of his image. God gave us community as a reflection of his image. God gave us friendship as a reflection of his image. God has given us culture as a reflection of his image. He is one. We are all human beings. Red and yellow, black and white are all human beings. Male and female are all human beings. Rich and poor are all human beings. Skinny and fat are all human beings. But they're different. We need to take back this divine creation that reflects the Trinity of God. Third, the God is eternally, the Godhead is eternally in community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And thus man is to be in community with man, women, and others. You know why I reject the notion that you can be a Christian and not a part of a church? Because God is in community. And he is in community with people who are like him. Stop with this idea that you can be a member of Bedside Baptist with Pastor Sheets. Yeah, it's funny, but it's serious. You don't reflect God's image when you are outside of the community of God's people, Christian. You know, they tell us we're to be watchful and mindful of people who are often alone and by themselves? You know why? Because humans are made to be in community. Christian, you're made to be in community. The word here, image and likeness, they're the same. They, these, these words mean the same thing. They simply mean to resemble God. There's not two distinctions. It's not image one, likeness another. They both mean to resemble God. I believe that this has been one of the most misunderstood doctrines, namely the image of God, throughout the time of Christianity. We've argued over what it means to be a man. What does it mean to be human? Does it mean that we think that we're aware? You know, some animals are aware. 
dogs, chimpanzees, magpies. They've done study on animals. They're self-aware, so that can't be it. And what about their ability to care for others? The chimpanzees care for those who are part of their own troop. What about the ability to plan and make things, use tools and make things for the future? Orangutans can use tools and design plans for their, uh, plans for their um, uh, uh, children, for their offspring. Birds make plans for their nest because they're planning for their eggs to be there. All of these things, all of these things in and of themselves fail. But I believe that all of these things together, with the added attribute of morality, is the best reflection of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. We may never be able to tie down exactly how we are like God, but we know for certain that we are like God. Why? Because God has made it so, and he has revealed this to us in his word. Now, we can tell the distinctions between animals and human beings. None of you felt like a murderer when you got up this morning and had bacon and eggs. But did it ever occur to you that the pig and the chicken were involved? As one says, the pig is committed. The chicken is a participant. Animals are involved, but none of you felt bad about it. You ate your bacon and eggs, and you didn't feel like a murderer. So we know, just with our own use of reason, that there's a distinction between animals and human beings. I don't know exactly what it is, but we know that God has told us that we are made in his image, and his word will never fail. God has also made us to have dominion. Humans were made to have dominion. The Bible says, let them, God says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Yes, you have dominion over roaches. Amen, right? And I believe in gender equality. I let my wife kill all the roaches. Yes, I am a progressive. Humans were made to have dominion. God, by the way, don't get excited. Y'all ain't going nowhere. It's raining and lightning. We're going to have a good old time. I'm thinking about doing next week's sermon today. (laughs) God has dominion over every created thing. God's dominion over creation is both his right and his power to rule creation as he so pleases. However, God is a good God and he rules creation In a holy love. And he made humans to reflect his image and likeness by exercising dominion over his creation as his vice regents. In other words, God has given us the earth for us to take care of it as his possession. It is not our possession to do with it what we please. It is God's gift to us to be his caretakers and stewards and to have dominion over the earth. God has given us this privilege to exercise his sovereignty over plant life, over fish life, 
over animal life, over nature. Humans aren't to have dominion over the earth because they were created in God's image. God gives us a cultural mandate. He tells human beings to be fruitful, that is to have offspring, to multiply. That means to have our offspring have offspring. And fill, that means made to make society and culture. God has made human beings to fill the earth, to fill the earth with his glory, that every people and person from every nation might glorify him throughout the earth. Why do human beings have kids? People ask me, that. this generation, my millennial generation, we don't understand why people have kids. Why would you have kids? Why would you, do, why would you have one of those? I had three of those. I don't know why I had three of those. But I know I had one of those. Because God made me to have children. To fill the earth with more image bearers. And we're to raise those children. To love him. To love his church so that they reflect his image properly. Fathers, you're to be a father to your child the way God is a father to his children. Mothers, you are to be a mother to your children the way God is mother. You know that God is both referred to as male and in female pronouns in the Bible. Mainly in male pronouns or masculine pronouns, but also in feminine pronouns. Yes. Deal with it, chauvinist. God is not a woman. He's not a man, but he's referred to in the male pronoun the majority of the time. But God is our parent. We are to reflect his glory with our children. This is our cultural mandate. And do you know that our generation is one of the few, gener we, are, we are one of the few American generations that are not having children. More and more of us are having less and less children. Why? Because we believe that our dignity and our glory and our worth is our self-worth, our own individuality. We believe that we are the most important people, ourselves. Because you know what happens, parents, when you have children? Any parent knows this. You have to be selfless. You have to give up your sleep. You have to give up your dignity. You're going to touch a lot of human bodily fluids from every orifice on that baby is going to be on your hand. You know, Jesus came and he... Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but gave up him his entire self. Do you realize that Jesus came to this earth and got stomach aches for you? Yes, Jesus got the flu. And he had colds. And he cut himself when he was woodworking. Yes, of course he did. He bled like you and I. All for us. Parents, the cultural mandate is to reflect God's glory by selflessly giving up ourselves for our children. But not just for parents. In the church, we are to give of ourselves to one another. Paul says, don't count yourselves first. Count others as more important than yourself. We're to be eager to store up love and good works amongst ourselves and to be together because church is not about us. Oh, everyone said amen, but they didn't. 
And then they laughed because it was funny because they're not going to say amen. Okay, now do it. There we go. Church is not about you. Oh, I didn't like that sermon this morning and I didn't like the music. So what? Get over it. This church is bigger than you. If you've got a personal need you need taken care of, call me on Monday. We'll talk. I'll meet you for coffee. I'd be glad to. But church is about us. It's bigger than the pastor. It's bigger than your preferences. God made us to be distinct, to be one body, but to have different parts. But God also gave us the responsibility of subduing the earth. To make earth habitable for mankind. Man was made to know the earth and to tame its wild nature. Adam was the first scientist identifying the animals in their distinct properties and categorizing them according to their natural inclinations. I don't want you to think Adam was sitting on a stone like lion, tiger, I'll call that one platypus. What is going on with that beak and that tail? He wasn't doing that. When he was naming them, he was identifying what they were. He was doing science. He was looking in their mouths. You know what he noted about the, the lion, probably? He noted that the lion's teeth weren't for eating apples. It was for ripping flesh. Yes, that's how lions were made, to rip flesh. If they don't rip flesh, there's going to be antelopes all over the place. There's a beautiful system, and he identifies this. It's our responsibility to take the earth and to subdue it. This whole weekend, I spent subduing my yard. You know, you know during the summer, we get these rains, right? I had, listen, I, my grass was so high, I found a car in it. I didn't even know I had Mowing my grass. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that van. It was so high, there was a family of velociraptors hunting me at one point. I'm mowing like this. And I got lost. You know, you got to wear a cap like you're from Jumanji or something. But I, I went and I got a, a lawnmower. I got my new lawnmower. I was feeling good about that. And I got these, these, these hedge clippers so that we've got these nice like cherry hedges and they look Nice and manicured now. Oh, they look beautiful. I spent the work subduing my yard. Because if I didn't, there'd be growth everywhere. I wish my neighbors would subdue their yard. <laughs> and when I was done, you know what I did? I went out to the street and I stood there. And I went, oh. Yeah. I looked at it. I was proud of it. Why was I proud of it? Because I'm fulfilling my mandate to subdue the earth. It's why your parents look like that at you when you graduate. They're proud. They're filling the earth with hopefully a good citizen. And they're getting rid of you out of their house. And that's why they're so happy. I'm filling the earth now. I... I, I <laughs> I made and I multiplied and now I'm going to fill it. So get out. Why do we do this? It's because God made us to enjoy it. This is who we are. 
Oh, I'm having fun this morning. But lastly, all of this, all of this that we are, God made us to glorify Him. You know, the word glory is an elusive definition. It has an elusive definition. What does it mean to glory? Glory can mean light. It can mean weight or worth of something. But I think the best description here is to reflect, to look like God. We were made to glorify God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question, it's probably the most memorized question of the catechism, asks this, what is the chief end of man? Answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. People ask me from time to time, why did God make us? To enjoy Him. To look like Him, to be like Him, and to enjoy Him. To be selfless like He was. To be sacrificial like He was. To be forgiving like He is. To be life-giving like He is. To be orderly like He is. Everything we do to give Him praise and honor and glory. You see why? Because human beings, you're only dust without God. You know, your life might be in a shambles today. You might not find yourself as being very significant and important to the world. You might be depressed, feeling like no one wants you or no one loves you or you're worthless. But that might be a symptom of failing to recognize God's glory in your life. Because you were made to glorify Him. You know why you're depressed and disappointed when your loved ones fail you? Because you made them your God and you didn't make God your God. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. God will never fail you. Never. But your children will. Your spouse will. Your body will. Your mind will. Your heart will. The government will. Everything but God fails. God has made us to glorify Him and to enjoy Him, not ourselves. You cannot even enjoy yourself until you begin enjoying God. That man was made to glorify God is perhaps the most pervasive point in all of the Bible. God formed man, thus we belong to him. You don't belong to yourself, you belong to God. It doesn't matter what I do with my mind, or what I watch with my eyes, or what I listen to with my ears. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. You are God's. Do everything even in eating and drinking, says Paul, to the glory of God. God made us in His image, thus we are His children. God gave us our purpose, thus He is our Lord. 
God made us both male and female. Thus we are an image of diversity and triunity. God made us to care for the earth. Thus we are his vice regents and caretakers of his possessions. God brings his wrath upon us. Thus we are accountable to God. One look at history of mankind, however, will tell us a different story. This morning I spent a lot of time talking about how we were made. Some of you might be sitting there saying today, you know, I don't see God when I look at man. I see hell. I see murder. I see rape. I see holocaust. Racism. Poverty. Greed and selfishness. Misogyny. Theft. I see it in my own heart. I identify and I know how I think about others. I know my own shortcomings. Is this, we're asking the question, is this really who God is? No. Something has gone wrong. We're not imaging God the way we ought to image him. Something has gone terribly wrong. The question though isn't to ask, is this what God is really like? But to ask how we can be like him and how can this all be fixed? I want to leave you with this. Paul, the apostle, said these words to the Ephesians. He began by saying to them, but this is not the way you learned in Christ. Christian, if the world is to have any hope of ever recovering what it looks like to image God, it happens right here in his churches. If the world is to see what God is like, they are to see how we love one another. Jesus said as much. How will men know that we are his disciples? By how we love one another. Paul said, this is not the way you learned in Christ. You know what he's telling the church? Already in the first century, churches are filled with people who aren't living the Christian life. Like they were taught. We tend to think that the past is always perfect. Oh, in my day it was perfect. My dad used to talk about teenage pregnancy. Like it, the only teenager who ever got pregnant happened after 1960. Like sex was invented after 1960 or something. In my day, son, we didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, you did. Guess what? Since the garden... All down the way through history. Sinful, sinful, sinful. So sinful, in fact, God destroyed the world once already. Already in the church, Christians are not behaving like they learned in Christ. Paul says, this is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. You were taught to do this, to put off your old self 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In other words, the old image of God is corrupted. We need a new one. You know why you look at the world and you see the mess it's in? Because it needs a new image. Without Christ, there is no hope of overcoming racism. Without Christ, there is no hope of overcoming war. There is no hope of anything without Christ because man needs a new image. The old image is corrupted. So you have to put off your old self. It belongs to your former manner of life and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. And you must be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, this morning, I don't have an answer to how to make your grass greener. Well, actually, I do. Get true green to come out to your house once a month and your grass will be greener. You have to pay for it. But what does it matter if your grass is green and you lose your soul? And I don't have an answer this morning how for you to go and start your business and to become a millionaire. Go to school. Maybe don't go to school and get in debt. Maybe start saving your money instead of spending it. There's some advice if you feel like you need that. What difference does it matter if you have the most successful business and you've lost your own soul? You know, this morning, what I'm trying to give you is how you can have a new image. And that new image comes by dying with Christ. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. That means the old you has to die. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. We have to have a new image. Without the new image, without new eyes, without a new heart, no one sees God.